There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, the war in Ukraine. What we are seeing is that Russia still thinks that it may win, so there is no uh, kind of appetite for real negotiations. Edgar Zrinkevich, Latvia's foreign minister in our studios. And what we also see is that Ukraine is fighting back and fighting back in a very impressive way. What would it take to, to, to change that calculus, to get Russia to change its mind, to make them realize that peace is going to have to be the way? This war won't work. Well, I think that the only way how Russia can really be persuaded is if they see that Ukraine is able to take back its own territory, to liberate Ukrainian lands that are grabbed by Russia. Also in our studios, Hanover. Pevkor, Estonia's defense minister, firing back at fake news. A story claims Estonia's giving Ukraine old weapons and getting reimbursed for new weapons. Did Estonia do anything wrong? No. Uh, we started helping Ukraine already before the war escalated uh, on 24th of February 22. Pevkor believes this was a political hit job. To be honest, uh, I'm very sad to, to read something like this from Politica. Uh, because, you know, for me, this sounds like a fake news or informational operation. One of the reasons he says that is because they're accused of giving Ukraine weapons they never had. Estonia never bought stingers for, uh, in the last years. Estonia never... Uh, delivered to Ukraine Strela manpads. We don't have them in our uh, weaponry. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Weather and other conditions permitting, Ukraine says it's likely to start its counteroffensive against Russia in the next month or so. Alexei Reznikov, the Minister of Defense, said it will happen in April or May and will be conducted on several fronts. In the meantime, on another front, Latvia, which shares a 133-mile border with Russia, is taking every move that Russia makes against Ukraine very seriously. Their foreign minister was in our studios discussing their concerns today, and this is my conversation with Edgars Rinkevitz. Minister, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Last year, you said, we have seen that negotiations and peace agreements with Russia simply do not work. You said Russia has no need for them. And I'm wondering, 
have you seen any change um, in this time? This is basically after the war had started last year. No, I think that what I said a year ago still is very much reality. Uh, what we are seeing is that Russia still thinks that it may win. So there is no uh, kind of appetite for real negotiations. And what we also see is that Ukraine is fighting back and fighting back in a very impressive way. So what would it take to, to, to change that calculus, to get Russia to change its mind, to make them realize that peace is going to have to be the way this war won't work? Or is that your view? Well, I think that the only way how Russia can really be persuaded is if they see that Ukraine is able to take back its own territory, to liberate Ukrainian lands that are grabbed by Russia. And second, that we, the West, the United States, European Union, other like-minded nations, uh, are not tired of supporting Ukraine and that support is going to be there. I think that Russia has a lot of resources, but uh, still they can't afford fighting a very, very long war. So helping Ukraine uh, to win is something that is going to change Russia's mind. There have been a number of escalations from Russia since this war began, and there have been some significant escalations within the last few weeks. The missile into the Sea of Japan or the testing of weapons in the Sea of Japan. What is the message you believe from Russia? Well, another statement by Mr. Putin was that he's going to deploy Russian tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. That's close to our borders, that's close to Polish borders. I think that this is a kind of message to the West that he wants to negotiate, that he is a bit desperate, but that he's not giving up on Ukraine. He simply wants to have a kind of broader picture uh, he had some nuclear blackmail last year. I think that uh, there was no real intention to use nuclear tactical weapons or to use any other weapons uh, against the Western countries or in Ukraine. But that's the way how to say, yes, I'm in a difficult position. It's not about Ukraine. It's about a new balance in the world, about a new kind of divisions within the world where I have my territory to control. You have yours and maybe the Chinese have their own. Mm -hmm. Back to the Belarus issue, that was going to be my next question. Does, do you find that frightening? Do you find that disconcerting? How do you find that decision? No, and the reason is that uh, we had Russian nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons in Kaliningrad, uh, close to our borders. So from that point of view, from the military point of view, I don't believe it makes real difference for the wars. But two reasons. One, to have this kind of discussion we are having, to yeah. have this kind of, you know, a message that, uh, guys, uh, if you are not stopping in Ukraine, I will do some other nasty things. That's a kind of negotiating tactics. Shows a little bit of desperation. But the uh, very interesting thing is that uh, some uh, months ago, actually a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Lukashenko, the dictator of Belarus, was saying that he wouldn't allow nuclear, Russian nuclear weapons to be stationed in his territory. I haven't heard much from him or Belarusian authorities on that. That also is a very interesting point. Maybe 
because of my visit to Washington, I haven't checked all the sources, but I haven't seen a kind of uh, strong uh, statement from, from Minsk on this. Do you get the sense that Minsk still has its own sovereign power? From the military point of view, like it or not, but Belarus and Russia should be viewed as one. And Belarus is part of, or I would sometimes call Belarus is a military district of Russia. Having said that, uh, we haven't seen Belarusian troops fighting in Ukraine. Having seen that, we see that uh, Mr. Lukashenko still tries to maneuver in a very, very kind of, I would say, a difficult situation. But unfortunately, my answer at this point would be no, I can't see Belarus as a sovereign country. And that's why I was also calling after the news broke about a statement from Mr. Putin that uh, we, the European Union, G7 nations, should impose uh, sanctions against Russia and against Belarus. And we should actually look Belarus as part of Russia also when we are doing our diplomacy or we are doing our sanctions. Can Ukraine win this war? Depends what we describe as victory. I think that here it is very important to define uh, what, let's say, people here in Washington or people in Brussels or in Riga or in Kiev defined by the victory. For me, victory, and I think I'm here very close to Ukrainians, would be liberation of all the occupied territories and restoration of the territorial integrity back to 1991 borders when Ukraine became an independent state. When I talk with some experts, not so much diplomats and politicians, but experts, then you have variety of <laughs> definition of victory. Like, you know, let's stop uh, where we are and let's negotiate some kind of uh, peace deal. I think that with the history of Russian agreements, and I'm coming back to your first question, Budapest Memorandum, Minsk agreements 2015 uh, proved that Russia is not going to honor them. That maybe uh, Russian leadership would take time to regroup and to fight again. Another uh, definition is let's go to the uh, line of 23rd of February 2022, when the full-scale aggression started. But that's not addressing some fundamental issues of, of Donbass and, and Crimea. So I would leave the definition of victory to Ukraine and to the Ukrainian people, because they are fighting this war. Uh, Ukrainians are being killed as we speak, and that's only for them to decide what they understand by victory. Our task, my task, is to support them any way we can, to provide more weapons, more ammunition, but the fighting is for them and the ultimate decision uh, is for them. So what is Latvia's course for the future? Because as you've mentioned several times, and the ambassador has as well, and your, your president and many of your colleagues have mentioned it in, in, other, in other Baltic countries, Russia doesn't stop here in Ukraine it most likely will, if they're allowed to win in any way, continue, as you've just said. What's Latvia's view and plan for making sure that it's safe, sovereign, and ready for the future? You know, I think that those people in Latvia, and by the way, today is the 90th, 19th anniversary of Latvia, along with other six Central and Eastern European countries, becoming NATO members. 2004, 
On 29th March here in Washington, our Prime Minister, along with other six leaders, handed over instruments of ratification to President uh, Bush. Uh, I think that was the critical decision for our future, for our security. We are part of NATO, and I don't expect that anyone is going to attack us uh, as members of NATO. If we were not so lucky then, who knows uh, who would be talking and what would be uh, the subject uh, as we speak today. So uh, I'm very happy to see that uh, some decisions that uh, NATO heads of state and government took in Madrid last year are being implemented. More NATO allies are stationed. We are increasing our defense budget. Currently we are at 2.5. By 2027 we should be at 3% uh, defense spending of GDP. That's way above the uh, minimum requirement of, of 2% of GDP. But at the same time, I do believe that one thing we really need to watch. If Ukraine is not successful, then the global consequence is uh, huge. It's also about more assertive China. It's about Indo-Pacific region. It's about countries like Moldova, Central Asia. And ultimately, if then Russia is not stopped, and I think the appetite would grow also to test NATO. Not now, not today. But uh, the consequences are very, very, uh, I would say, uh, complicated if Russia succeeds. I hope, and the last year has proven that they are not succeeding, but we are not yet mm -hmm. there. We are not yet, let's say, celebrating victory. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that about the 19th anniversary. That's a very important thing. Um, what is the purpose of your visit to the U.S. right now? Well, actually, I was invited by Globesec American Foundation to participate in one conference, and then, of course, I met, and I'm still meeting some uh, people on the Hill, also the State Department Deputy Secretary, Andy Sherman, and, uh, and also doing a little bit uh, interviews. So it's a very short visit. It's only a day and a half. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but actually, one thing that... What we have learned is that with each and every new administration or with each and every new Congress, you have to go back, you have to speak with people to tell your story, yeah. to remind about yourselves and Shake to remind about hands. NATO. That's, that's also an important part yeah. of the job. Very important. Is there anything you want to add that's important that I haven't asked you about that you think we should discuss before you go? Okay. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Edgars Rinkevich. He is the foreign minister from Latvia. Another big story this week. The European Union is backing Ukraine in its fight, as everyone knows, against the invading Russian forces. But an exclusive story in Politico on the 28th of March suggested one of those countries was, quote, gaming the system, end quote, to make money off its weapons to Ukraine. That country? Estonia. Basically, the story cites more than a half dozen EU diplomats who spoke anonymously saying that essentially they've been sending old weapons to Ukraine and reimbursing themselves for new ones. So I spoke with Defense Minister Hanno Pevkur here in our studios about that story. Minister Pevkur, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. I read a story in Politico today, uh, and that story suggested that there were six or seven diplomats within the EU delegation that were unhappy with some members of the team 
And basically, there were accusations that some members of the team, including Estonia, had inflated the cost uh, or, or, or inflated the fees that they would get reimbursed for uh, the effort of sending weapons to Ukraine. There is a process in place to do this. They are essentially saying that Ukraine, or rather, they were essentially saying that Estonia had abused this. My first question to you, did Estonia do anything wrong? No. Uh, we started helping Ukraine already before the war escalated uh, on 24th of February 22. And uh, to be honest, uh, I'm very sad to, to read something like this from Politica. Uh, because, you know, for me, this sounds like a fake news or informational operation. Uh, because, you know, when, when, when you take all the essence of, of that article, uh, then uh, everything was, was based on, on, on fake uh, or, or false. So you see that Estonia never uh, delivered to Ukraine Strela manpads. We don't have them in our uh, weaponry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Estonia never bought Stingers uh, for, uh, in the last years. Uh, so this is just based on, on, on false information. Uh, and, and when we take the, the, the essence of the uh, European peace facility, uh, where we are reimbursing our stuff, then everyone in Europe, every country in Europe understands one very simple thing. When you're giving something, one, uh, when you're giving some assets to Ukraine, then you have to reimburse the same things to yourself. And you cannot go to the store uh, or, or you cannot go to the factory and say that, you know, 20 years back when we bought the, the first... Uh, 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 like assets uh, of, of from you, then uh, we would like to get the same price. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you will have, you have to, to you have price. to pay the market price, and and this has been very clear in Europe, and and all the European countries are doing the calculation uh, by the same formula. So this is why I, I'm taking this as a as a discreditation of of helping Ukraine as mm-hmm. a whole. And somehow uh, the focus is on the Baltic states and Finland, you know, and somehow we see that Finland is joining NATO and the Baltic states are the, the, the biggest supporters of, of Ukraine at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and Estonia particularly is the biggest donator uh, of Ukrainian help uh, when we talk about the uh, GDP per capita. So, so one of the things that was in this article was a breakdown of which countries have reimbursed themselves and of these six that were mentioned. And um, I think what they were trying to show is that everyone is doing exactly what Estonia is doing, but they're trying to say as well that some are upset because Estonia has reimbursed itself much more than the others. Is that true? My question would be in this situation that why is that so? And and the answer to that is that we started uh, earlier. So we started already before, as I said, before the war escalated on 24th of February. Uh, we saw that many, many countries didn't come with the idea of helping Ukraine immediately on board. So uh, I would ask, uh, in contrary, that why it was, and, and this decision was not made by Estonia. This decision was made by European Union authorities that uh, we got the first share as the biggest share uh, from the European Peace Facility. 
because we were ready to reimburse. So, so this is why you know I I would look at this that uh, for the mm-hmm. from the next patches, I'm not sure that Estonia will be the biggest uh, the the biggest uh, uh, you know uh, contributor or the or the biggest uh, taker from from this uh, European peace facility. But nevertheless, you know, once again, it all drives me to that that it's just you know something which. Uh, tries to show that helping Ukraine is something wrong. It's not. So then this information operation or whatever it is that's happening, where do you suppose this is coming from? Well, uh, we we all know who is interested uh, of that, that uh, European Union and, and all the allies of the free world are not united. So, uh, and, mm. and uh, of course, uh, uh, it... It, it, it's not my duty to say or point the finger. Uh, I'm just saying the facts that uh, we have done everything correctly, and uh, you know we we just don't want to see that someone is drawing the attention uh, from helping Ukraine to some bureaucracy or something like that. Minister, it's unfortunate that this has happened. I've spoken to you on a couple of occasions in the past, and our conversations have always focused on what Estonia was doing to help Ukraine and to help the region. And specifically to help itself, but but by helping yourself, you're helping the region because Estonia is one of those countries that is on essentially the front line of you know this long-standing fight against Russian aggression. So um, how how do you how do if the, these voices, these anonymous voices, are out there? How is this going to impact the work that you've been doing with your allies, with the people? the other countries, how is this going to impact what you do? Every enemy of Estonia has to understand that we will continue our work and we will continue helping Ukraine and we are we will continue uh, rebuilding and, and building uh, our army. So, uh, and then we are continuing also uh, partnership with our partners. And we all have to understand one thing. Uh, yes, we are a frontline country, which means that, uh, you know, our doors are not Estonian doors only uh, it's it's also the door of NATO and and uh, I've I've had here in 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 Washington many good meetings with with uh, congressmen and and you know one thing I said to them uh, is very clear that when US taxpayer is is putting some money to to Estonian defense that means that uh, US taxpayers is putting money to uh, US defense and, and NATO's defense and uh, you know addition to that every uh, US dollar uh, US taxpayer is giving to strengthen the eastern flank of NATO it's not about the Estonia it's the eastern flank of NATO uh, we will add to that six dollars so uh, and and most of that money actually is coming back to the to create the jobs here in in America mm-hmm. because uh, we are buying HIMARS so HIMARS is produced by Lockheed Martin uh, we are buying the ammunition uh, produced by American companies. So, so this is what we are giving back from this uh, help, and and this is what I I really call a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of what you're doing, um, the impact of what you've done is very clear, um, and Ukraine has thanked you as well as other allies that are involved in this fight. They've all thanked you for the leadership that you've taken, but also for the time that you spent on the, the front line in the forefront of this fight warning about Russia years before. I mean, this goes back beyond 2007 when this awful thing took place in Estonia. But um, your country is this, the location of one of the centers of excellence for the NATO family. Uh, and 
you, so that means you have information and you have expertise and skill. What does all of that tell you right now, based on what Russia's done so far, what they're doing in Ukraine? What does that tell you about the future, what you need to do, prepare for, and, and how? Well, that tells me that uh, we cannot stop uh, building uh, our armies and and then to secure secure our societies because uh, uh, when when we take like forty years back, then the average uh, spending to defense in NATO was approximately four percent per uh, per country, and and even in European Union, uh, the, the the spendings were up to three point six percent by average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now when we take uh, last 30 years, then the gap what has been you know, created in, in defense uh, sector is a huge, uh, uh, which, which needs to be refilled, uh, which means that uh, we don't have the luxury today to say that uh, first we stop Ukraine, second we will uh, like reinforce and, and, and you know, build our own armies, uh, which means also that we need a huge improvement also from the industry side. Uh, to, today, the European industry can produce less ammunition in one year than Ukraine uh, or Russia is using in, in Ukraine uh, in, in a month. So this is the reality. And, and this all shows that, you know, considering that the war has been already one year there, uh, then uh, the the shortage of the ammunition of the weaponry is is very very big. Mm-hmm. So this is just from the military point of view. Uh, politically uh, and and also from from the defense policy side, what we have to understand that Russia will never stop. Uh, the only thing Russia understands is uh, uh, deterring him by by power. So they have to see that uh, there is no even uh, smallest idea, or there should be no uh, idea for Russians, from Kre- for Kremlin uh, specifically, to think to go to war with NATO. Mm-hmm. This is why NATO has to be stronger. This is why all the countries in NATO have to uh, put more focus on defense. This is why Estonia said that uh, we should come from 2% level to 2.5% level. Uh, in each country. So so this is what we are looking today and this is why we are uh, going to Vilnius also with, with some specific messages and uh, we are looking very like closely what are the regional plans which are coming out from uh, the uh, Secretary's office in, in coming weeks. So we are like strengthening NATO from each side. A mm-hmm. couple more things. Um, what is it that's the number one item on your agenda as defense minister in Estonia right now? I know the war in Ukraine is a big deal. I also know Russia is a bigger deal. Um, but looking at the future, looking at Estonia's growth and your plans for the military, what's the number one item on your list or the next item on your list after those things? Well, for- to be very concrete, first and foremost, we have to uh, close the coalition agreement because we just had the general elections and uh, the new government has to be formed. Uh, so I, I truly hope that uh, we can finish uh, by the end of next week uh, all these negotiations. But uh, on the practical point of view, of course, uh, and delivering all these decisions, what have been made already, you know, that uh, acquiring uh, HIMARS, uh, medium-range air defense, uh, 
anti-vessel missiles, anti-tank systems, uh, short-range air defense. Uh, you know, there are many, many things what we have acquired, uh, so we have to deliver this. Uh, but in general, still, so the big topic is uh, the, the approach of NATO to the eastern flank, and this is why the next coming months, uh, until Vilnius summit in July, will uh, will focus on on the regional plans and on on that that these plans have to be executable uh, by the end of the year. So so this is very very important. So uh, I believe you know when when you start to come down from from the top to to the bottom, then uh, I would say that we will start from the regional security uh, inside of NATO and then come to to our own. Uh, uh, decisions regarding the the um, uh, acquisitions we we just uh, decided to make. And last thing I'll ask you: the United States. You're here in Washington right now, clearly for very important reasons. Um, give us a sense of the uh, relationship between yourself and your counterpart here, Secretary of Defense Austin, and the importance of this relationship between the U.S. and Estonia. Well. Uh, there was a press conference in Estonia when Secretary Austin was in Estonia, and and it was a week where we met basically three times in a row, and and then I said on that press conference that you know, uh, dear Lloyd, that I have seen you more in this week than my wife. <laughs> so uh, so basically, this describes our relation that you know that uh, we we have a clear understanding what we have to do in order to help Ukraine uh, in the Rammstein format. We know what we have to do in, in, in order to strengthen the, the eastern flank of NATO. And, and I truly believe that these relations, what we have, uh, not only personally, but, but also uh, on the state level, uh, these relations are really, really good. And uh, you know, now a new thing what we are trying to, to create is the, the cyber coalition or the cyber Rammstein, if I, if I may say so, and, uh, you know, because uh, in one moment we have to rebuild also Ukraine uh, altogether. And, uh, you know, for that, uh, there are many, many different layers, but uh, just uh, bilateral relations uh, are extremely important. Uh, and I really appreciate every U.S. Uh, taxpayer for that, that they understand uh, the need of strengthening the, the, the eastern flank of NATO and, and why the U.S. soldiers are there. Uh, for on on rotational basis and and why we have to deter Russia and because as what said in uh, as it was said in in Madrid that Russia is the biggest threat to the alliance and uh, we have to understand that as we know that NATO is a defense alliance then Russians are not taking NATO as a defense alliance rather uh, they are taking that as a as a offensive alliance mm-hmm. so uh, it's it, there is a lot to do and and of course definitely there is a lot to explain also to to uh, every us citizen uh, that why the administration is doing these steps uh, to strengthen nato and the eastern flank and, and and of course i'm more than happy to explain more and more minister pevker thank you i appreciate this opportunity for clarity and understanding and analysis, and you've done it all expertly. Thank you. Look forward to the next time. Thank you very much. Hanno Pevkor, Minister of Defense from Estonia. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Russia's plan to put nuclear weapons in Belarus. This is another sign of Putin's escalation. 
Now he tries to use the nuclear intimidation, nuclear blackmail, uh, thinking that this might work and this might deter the Europeans from continuing their support to Ukraine. Peter Stano is the lead spokesman for the European Commission. But of course this will not work. He will fail again like he's failing until now in basically everything. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.